as we begin today, I want you to answer a question in your own mind. How big is your God? How big is your God? Now, our knee-jerk reaction may be to say, well, Pastor, I know the answer to that one. That's an easy one. I have a very big God. Uh, the Bible says that the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain my God. And that's, that's all well and good. That's an accurate biblical answer. It's also kind of a Sunday school answer. So let's probe a little bit deeper. When you pray and when you have a need and you need God to exert His power in some situation, some circumstance in your life, how big is your God then? If we're honest, most of us have a very small God. That's not to say that the God of the Bible is small or, or that He's weak, but rather that our idea of God, our conception of God, is quite small. To use the popular lingo of the day, We've put God in a box, and it's a very small box indeed. And while we may be able to give an orthodox answer about God's omniscience, about God's omnipresence, about His immense power, our actions show that our true understanding of God is really quite different, and actually it's quite deficient most of the time. So today I want to talk to you about unlimiting God. Unlimiting God will be in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings again. We'll be in 2 Kings Chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Our passage today is, is really pretty well known. It involves a poor widow who's about to lose everything that she has, including her children. And that's all due to debt that um, her family is in. And this woman has hit rock bottom, and so she comes to the prophet Elisha. You remember uh, we looked at a couple weeks ago, Elijah had been taken up into heaven. Elisha is his successor. And so she comes to Elisha to tell him her need. And it's in this context that we find today's lessons. So look if you would at 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, there, now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant my husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now this incredible account starts with a widow who's in dire straits. I mean, this lady has hit rock bottom. Her husband has died. She's a widow, and I'm guessing that he died just not too long before this happened. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about her. We know that uh, that he was a godly man. Uh, she she talks about uh, uh, about him fearing the Lord, and evidently he was known to Elisha uh, as as being a godly man. Now um, she was in a bad state of affairs because she was a widow and her family had a lot of debt. It sounds kind of like the uh, uh, average family in America, doesn't it? Now if you're looking at verse one. Some that may have stuck out to you is that the creditor was coming to take her children because of the debt. Now, today in, in our society, we don't have any, any kind of allowances for things like that. But 
back in the ancient Near East, that's, that was actually a common practice. You could not only sell your children into slavery, you could also sell yourself into slavery until you worked off that debt. But no matter how you cut it, this woman was in bad shape. She lost her spouse. She lost, was getting ready to lose her kids. She's getting ready to lose everything that she had. She didn't have any way to make any money. And they'd evidently exhausted all the savings they had. So this woman was in a crisis. And the great thing is that God will use those times of crisis to help us know Him and His character. And haven't you noticed in, in, your, in your own life whenever you've uh, come to a crisis point that God will stretch you? He will, he will use those things to mold you and to shape you. And in the end, even though it's very unpleasant going through it, in the end we end up knowing God and His love and His care in a, in a whole new way that we never knew before. Now before, maybe we could have given a, a good church answer and said, yes, God loves us, He cares for us. But, but it's after we've gone through those times of crisis that we know by experience. And we all face those times in life. And I want to encourage you, if, if you've gone through those, those times of crisis, don't keep those things to yourself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, and we're all good with that, but he says He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, part of the, what God wants you to do as you go through times of crisis, part of what He wants you to do is take, take that knowledge that you've gained about Him and about His character and use that to minister to somebody else who's going through a bad time. And if you'll do that, you'll be amazed at the number of people that you'll cross paths with that are going through something similar to what you've gone through. You'll be amazed at, at how you can minister to those people. How many conversations will start where you can talk about what God has done in your life? So in other words, don't waste the pain that you've gone through. God will, will use crisis points in our lives. But I want to move on to, into the heart of the passage about unlimiting God. And there are two truths in here that I want you to see. Now the first truth is that faith is essential to seeing God work. Faith is essential to seeing God work. Now, we've sung about faith this morning. Where do we see it in our passage today? Well, really, it starts right there in verse 1. And it really it runs throughout the whole passage. This widow knew that the only one who could help her was God. And that's why she went to God's man. She went to his representative, the prophet Elisha. We see it in her obedience. Uh, she had a desperate need that's highlighted in verse 2. What does Elisha say? He says, what do you need? She needs, she needs some money. And he says, well, what do you have? She says, I don't have squat. That's my paraphrase. I don't have anything except for a little bit of oil in a flask, in a jar. And so this need is highlighted. And so what does he do? He says, you go and you borrow all the jugs you can. Get all the jugs that you can. And what's going to happen is you'll start pouring that oil out. And he tells her exactly what's going to happen. And, and, and as they get full, you set them aside. He tells her beforehand before she gets the first jug, the miracle that's going to happen. Now I just wonder, if that was me, what I would have thought. If it was you, what would you have thought? If somebody told you, you take this little jar of oil, and you're going to fill up a whole bunch of jugs with that oil, what would you have thought? I probably would have been saying, okay, what's choice number two? What, what else can we do to make me some money? Because this isn't going to cut it. Um, but this woman had a great faith. And if you want to see God work in your life, you have to have faith. 
Because what does the Bible say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus said anything is possible to him that believes. He says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. You remember what he says? He said if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will happen. He says that uh, at one time he healed somebody and he said, so be it according to your faith. Over and over and over again we see this truth in Scripture. You must have faith. You say, okay, well what is faith? Well, faith is not a force. Faith is, is, is not what we usually term it as. Faith is not a hope. So if you say, boy, I sure hope God does this, that's not faith. If you say, I sure want God to do this, that's not faith. Faith is a trust that God will do something. See, it's not just believing that He's able to do it. That's an aspect of faith. But faith is actually believing that God will do something. The second truth that I want you to see in this section is that God is a limitless God. God is limitless. Notice that He took this little flask, this little jar of oil, and He multiplied it, and He multiplied it and filled jug after jug after jug. Now, we don't know how many jugs were filled, but when did the oil stop? After, after they ran out of jugs to put it in. Now, you could see the measure of this woman's faith in the number of jugs that she got. And as I thought about that, I just wondered how many jugs I would have gathered. How big would my faith have been? Would I have gotten just a gallon jug? Would I have gotten a 50-gallon drum? I mean, how, how many jugs would I have gotten? I believe if they would have had a 1,000 jugs... God would have filled them all. Why? Because He's limitless. What's the Bible say that in the New Testament? In Ephesians 3, Paul says, God can do abundantly more than we could ever think or ask. Now you think about that sentence. He's able to do abundantly more than you can ever even imagine. Now, I've got a pretty big imagination. I can imagine all sorts of things. And to think that God can do far more than anything I can even come up with, I mean, that's a pretty incredible thought. God is a limitless God. And, and so I have this truth. God is limitless. But then I look in the mirror. I look at the lives of those around me. I look at the American church. I look at New Hope. And I say, God's limitless, but we live such limited Christian lives. Our churches are limited. Our walks with God are limited. Why? Well, just like with this woman, the limit isn't on God's end. Where's the limit? It's with us. It's with us. The problem isn't with God. It's with us. The oil didn't run out. The jugs to put them in, put it in, ran out. I like the way Matthew Henry put it. He said, "It's our faith that fails, not God's promise. It's our faith that fails, not God's promise." I, I thought that was just a, a good summary. Now I heard or I read a story this week in this connection, and I really wish I could remember where. I read it, so I give the person credit, but I can't remember where it is, so you'll just get the story, I guess. This was these two men that were out fishing in a boat. They were casting their lines out, and they were catching fish like crazy. And, and one guy, he's, he'd reel in a fish, and he'd pull out a ruler. If it was longer than a foot, he'd throw it back in. All the small ones he'd keep. The big ones he'd throw back in. He just kept fishing, and, and fish after fish, he'd measure, keep it. Measure, throw it back. And his friends kept looking at him. He said, he, he finally said, you know what? I just can't handle it anymore. Please, what are you doing? I've never seen behavior like this from a fisherman. 
you're keeping all the small fish and throwing away all the big ones. Why are you doing that? The man said, oh, I throw the big ones back because I only have an 8-inch pan. Rather than get a bigger pan, he was just throwing back all the big fish. And I, I heard that story, I read that story, and I became convinced that that's an apt description for a lot of churches. That's an apt description for most Christians. God has some big fish to fry, but we settle for the little things because we don't want to get a bigger pan. We just want to keep our 8-inch fry pan instead of just getting a bigger pan and frying the bigger fish. So how do we limit God? Why is it that, that we have a need in our lives and sometimes it just seems like God doesn't come through? Why is that? Well, the Bible tells us numerous ways that we do it. James says, you have not because he asked not. Part of the reason that sometimes God doesn't work is we never include him in on the, on the whole situation. We say, well, I'll just take care of this one, hope God blesses it. We don't ever actually ask him. We don't pray about it. Sometimes James says we ask amiss. We ask with the wrong motive. We say, God, boy, please give me a raise this year at work. Now, why are we wanting a raise? Are we wanting it so we can further God's kingdom, so we can give more money to missions, so we can do all these different things? No. We want it because our neighbor has a new car and we want one to match. We want to keep up with the Joneses. Sometimes we ask outside the will of God. We say, God, I really want you to do this. And then it doesn't happen. We say, well, God just must not answer prayer. Well, maybe it's just not in His will, at least not for that time. Just like a good father will not give his child something that will harm them, God's not going to do that to us. If you ask Him for a fish, He's not going to give you a snake. Listen, we have a very limited point of view. We can't see past the end of our noses. And we don't see the whole picture. We don't know what's going to harm us. We don't know what we're ready for. But God does. You think back to the book of Exodus. God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And He was the one that was leading them. A pillar of fire by day, pillar of, or, of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He was the one leading them. But if you'll read the text carefully, He didn't lead them in a straight path. He led them kind of in circles all over the desert. Why on earth did He do that? The Bible says that along the straight path, there are Philistines. There are warlike people. And the Bible says that if God knew that if those Israelites saw this war, this battle, they turn tail, they go back to Egypt. That's where they'd be happy. They didn't know what they could handle, but God did. Likewise, we don't know what we can handle, but God knows. Sometimes we limit God by the smallness of our prayers. We don't see God do big things we don't, because we don't ask Him for anything extraordinary. Because we don't think He can or He will. Sometimes we limit God by answering, well, telling Him how to answer our prayers. Have you ever done that? God, I, I want you to work in this situation and here's how I want you to do it. And sometimes God will answer that way, but man, maybe He had something a lot better. And, uh, you know, I think overall it's just a lack of faith most of the time. That's the biggest way that we limit God. We just we just don't believe that God can and will do stuff. And an ocean is not limited by a teacup. If the teacup is full, it's not because the ocean went dry. It's because the teacup is too small. You say, well, I'm not going anywhere in my Christian walk. I don't, I'm not getting to know God anymore. 
Well, if you're not getting any more of God, it's not because you've exhausted God. It's because your teacup's too small. Now, the last thing I want to touch on just very briefly in this passage is that, that God will work in our lives as a testimony to other people as well. God's work in our lives is a testimony to others as well. Now, this is something that we often overlook because we're so self-centered. We're so focused on us. This is what I want God to do with in, in my situation. We, we pray it's all about us. We never think about our neighbors and what God is doing in our lives and how it affects them. But just put yourself in this widow's place. Just imagine you're in this small community. And you're sitting, sitting there at the table talking to your spouse, drinking coffee, and all of a sudden you go to the door. Yeah, here's a widow and her kids. Hey, uh, this is going to be a weird question, but do you have any pots or jugs I could have? Just for a little bit. I guess. How, how many? What, are you talking like a milk jug or you know, like a big soup pot? What, what do you need? Just anything that you have. Just a, the biggest jug, all the jugs that you have. I've got several in the pantry. They're maybe kind of dirty because I don't use some of those very often. All of them. Just give me all of them. Don't mind me asking, why on earth are you wanting all my jugs? Well, I won't. I won't keep them for very long. I, I just wondered, did they say, "Yeah, this miracle is getting ready to happen"? You're not going to believe it, but this miracle is getting ready to happen. We're going to pour a whole bunch of oil and going to fill up all these jugs out of this little jar. Or do they say, "Just, just trust me. I'll get them back to you by the end of the week." Well, I just wonder what it would have been like, and whether they told them that this miracle was going to happen or not. Obviously, I mean. They knew about the jugs that were being taken. They're in a small community. Whenever I was growing up, and you drive through Wayne City, you didn't have to use your blinker because everybody knew where you're going anyway. Everybody knew everybody's business. And I, I think it's probably like this here. It's a small community. Everybody knows everybody's business. They know that the creditor's getting ready to take their kid, her kids. I'm sure they probably met at the synagogue and had a, a prayer service about it. They knew what was going to happen, and then all of a sudden, the creditor gets paid off, and she's got money to live on for her and her kids. They, th this was an awesome opportunity to testify about God, His goodness, His care, His power, all those things. And likewise, when God brings you through stuff, when He works in a situation, don't be afraid to let people know about it, because that's a testimony about God. So with all this said, I said... I want to talk to you about unlimiting God. What are some ways that we can unlimit God and His work in our lives? There's a few things that, uh, that I thought of. First, we need to examine our hearts to see if we really do believe God or not. That's the very basic thing. Do we believe God? Not just believe in Him. The devil does that. But believe Him. Trust that He will work. Trust that He will act. You say, well, I'm not sure. How do I know if I really believe God? Think about the things that you say. Think about the things that you pray. Do you pray and, and when you're talking to people, do you say, yeah, I sure hope God's going to do it? Or do you say, I believe God's going to do that? Do you say, oh, I really wish God would work? Or do you say, I believe God's going to work? Our, our, our word choice reveals what's in our hearts. Now, sometimes we kind of want to hedge our bets a little bit, don't we? Because we don't want to say, I believe God's going to work, and then if He decides to do something else, we don't want to look either A, like we're foolish, or B, 
Like maybe God didn't come through. We don't want that to be a bad testimony. But really, what, what do you really feel? Do you really believe that God's going to work? Or do you just mouth the words? The second way that we can unlimit God, I think, is by changing our prayer lives. If you have a need or something, something's on your heart, take it to the Lord. Nothing's too big or too small. And then when you take it to Him, try not giving Him all the answers to your problems. It's funny, sometimes we'll say, God, oh, please, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do in this situation. Oh, Lord, please work. I don't know what you need to do, but I think if you did this, this, and this, that'd work out real good. Try not giving Him the answers to your problems. You don't know what, what, to, what to pray about. And when you do pray, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. As a church body, as, as New Hope Baptist Church, we need to have a change of mind as well, I believe. Because a lot of churches our size get into the mindset of survival. What can we do to survive? How can we keep the doors open? They don't consider the bigger picture. They don't consider the bigger God. And instead of saying, what can we do to survive? They should be asking, what can an unlimited God do through us? And I think that's where we need to get. We need to examine our hearts and say, what do we, what do we as a, a church body believe that God wants to do through us? Because God has a plan for each of His churches. He has a plan for New Hope Baptist Church. We are here for a reason. So let's not limit God by our unbelief. The Israelites stood on the edge of the promised land and they didn't go in, not because of some faith, faithlessness on God's part, but because they didn't trust God to go in. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's trust God because He has a plan for us individually and as a church. Why don't you stand with me as musician comes. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And nobody looking around. I just want you to, to examine your own heart. What is your level of faith? To be honest, mine is pretty weak sometimes. I'll go through periods where I really believe that God will work, and then the very next second I say, Oh, I don't, ugh, I'm not real sure. There's man in the Gospels who had that same. That same type of scenario. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the fact is, we're not going to be... And we're, we're all human. We all have feet of clay. We're going to have times of, of doubt. Even John the Baptist had that. Pray that God would increase your faith. What do you think God wants to do here at church? I don't know about you, but I'm not content just with the day-to-day -day mediocre status quo. I want God to do something here. I believe He wants to do something here. And maybe you're here and, and you don't have faith because you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never trusted Him alone for salvation. Today you can do that. That's the only way that any of us can get to heaven. You, me, or anybody else. 
All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.